0: Do 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 do. Aquaponics for everyone: grow big or grow home.
1: All right, what's up, everybody? This is RK Castillo, and I am here today with Phil Reasons from Morningstar Fisherman and. You know, for uh, a number of years, I've had a saying where I, I said, you know, if you uh, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. But if you give the man a fish pond, you change his family's history forever. And so, when I went on your website, I saw that you guys have a, a, a very kind of similar mission statement and and phrase. You want you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely, RK. We uh, we do it. Morningstar Fishermen, our mission statement is very similar to what you just said. Give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to raise fish, and then we add in and grow vegetables and the whole community can eat for a lifetime. And so that's really been what we have tried to accomplish. Morningstar started in nineteen ninety three and in in place of going into developing nations and handing out boxes of food, our mission is to go in and teach these communities and individuals how to
1: grow their own sustainable food systems. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, you've been doing this for uh, quite a while, but you know, what got you started in aquaponics? Well, uh, let me, let me
0: first tell you what got Morningstar started and then I can share with you a little bit of my personal experience as well. Uh, Morningstar was, was founded by, Hans and Sigrid Geisler, they're uh, immigrants that came to the United States from Germany in the 1960s. And Hans was on a missions trip with a local church in 1990. And they were, they were feeding a community, an impoverished community. And he said that there was such a great feeling of being able to help people. And And he said after the time of service, Uh, He was walking away and he said it just really began to weigh heavy on him that these children are going to be hungry again tomorrow and I'm not going to be here. And so he began then the, you know, what has developed into today a a multi-nation training program of just teaching people how to produce their own food. Um, I I got in, involved with aquaponics about six years ago. Um, uh, like Hans, I was on a missions trip uh, in Mexico and working with a water purification uh, company. and They started a nonprofit um, arm or bench of their business and uh, wanted to take the water purifying technology in that with aquaponics uh, so we could go into a community provide clean water and provide them a sustainable method of producing food i got really excited about that and and worked with them for a while the opportunity came to come to morningstar and i i jumped on the opportunity i actually uh, came here initially as a student and uh took the training uh, one of the trainings offered here at morningstar and then uh um became the executive director a few months after that and I've been here since so that's that's what got me here and I I love what I'm
1: doing yeah that's that's great so um you know what was the the biggest mistake you know that you you made when you just first got started getting started
0: the uh i think it's probably the mistake that a lot of um aquaponic farmers make and that is they they think that this is a food producing machine and you have some fish and some plants and you plug the thing in and everything is just going to take care of itself. And that's kind of the mistake I made. I I thought this was going to be pretty easy. You throw some fish in a tank, you plant some seeds and voila, there you go. And what I found was this really is a method of farming. And, and I'm very familiar with farming. I grew up, on a farm and and farmed for years, traditional farming. And aquaponics is just another style or method of farming. And it requires the same amount of work, uh, the same determination. Uh, You know, you're working a different problem every day. Uh, But probably the biggest mistake was underestimating the amount of work that it, that it takes to keep this method of farming producing like any other.
1: Yeah. Now that, yeah that's good because I know a lot of people when they get started, they just think, "Oh, I'll just throw a couple of fish in a tank and put a fed yeah. and then you know, and then it's gonna grow me vegetable three times faster than anything else, and yeah. That kind of becomes the uh, the facade of, of of doing aquaponics,
0: and we see that with what we do now uh with teaching and training around the world, uh we get contacted regularly from other non profit organizations that. Right have funded a project in a developing nation and they've built tanks and they left and came back to the States to their normal lives. And then a few months later, uh, the indigenous people, wherever they are, we were recently in, in Guatemala um, with one of these types of scenarios and the people there didn't know how to manage it, didn't know how to farm the system that had been built for them. So we went to Guatemala and trained those people how to take care of the fish and the plants and how to make that ecosystem all work well together and and so we see that the really the lacking component in a lot of the efforts to to take aquaponics globally is is teaching and training and so we've really tried hard to make sure that organizations that that talk to us we communicate to them how vitally important it is to Get the necessary training uh, to know how to handle the problems when they arise.
1: Right. Yeah. So true. So, um, so after you got started, you've been doing this for a little while. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned while doing aquaponics? I think probably it's
0: the uh, it's the beauty of balanced ecosystems and just really. Uh, coming to an understanding of how nature takes care and balances itself out and uh, working in harmony with with those principles and laws that are just a part of, of the world we live in, um, it's, it's really enjoyable. I really like that component of if you I, – I tell our students that come through trainings here in Florida all the time, I know you came here thinking that I'm going to teach you aquaponics, but – Really, we're going to spend this week learning to become linguist, and I'm going to teach you how to understand the language of the fish and the language of the plants. And I don't say that in you know in any strange way, but the reality is fish do communicate, and they'll communicate to us if we understand what they're trying to communicate, and plants do the same thing they're either thriving, which is communicating to us that they're getting all the light and all the nutrients and all the water that they need, or they're not. And if they're not thriving, they're communicating something different. Maybe the leaves are curling or they're turning yellow or they're turning brown. All of those are telling us something different. So it's just understanding that, that I am a part of a much bigger ecosystem And my role here is just to manage or to help balance the ecosystem that we've created. So I really enjoy that, that part
1: of, of what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, which, which really leads me to my next question and what I really wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on is, you know, will aquaponics really work in a third world country, you know, because I think that, you know, I'm here in Honolulu and, Um, you know, if I need to go pick up something to go and raise pH or drop pH, or, you know, I need some grow media, I can just run down to the store and pick it up and then come home and put it in my system, you know, but, you know, thinking of, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in India and Africa and places like these, they wouldn't have a place that they could just go run to and get the stuff that they need, you know, to do little things that kind of, we take advantage of, um, you know, living in a first world urban community.
0: Well, that that those are very good points and, and good observation and we at Morningstar have have been uh maybe criticized might be a strong word but categorized might be more accurate um as uh, not sustainable. And uh the we had a student was they were com- communicating this to us coming from another aquaponic teacher and I said, yeah. well then we have to define what is sustainable. And really what she meant was not profitable in a U.S. economy. And I said, <laughs> okay, but that's not how we determine sustainability. Sustainability to us is can we replicate uh, or can we reproduce what we introduce? We don't want to take um, a technology or a method of farming into a developing nation that cannot be reproduced. If the people there can't reproduce and do what we're trying to teach them to do, then we're wasting a lot of time and money. And so our systems that we design are very low tech. Uh, we, we call them low density, low flow, low tech, and then I put an equal sign at the end, low cost, because right. all of that is relevant in a developing nation. If you, if you put your biomass ratios too high, that's the ratio of fish to water, then it becomes much more complicated, and you need much more technology in order to keep the fish alive. Now, in comparison, uh, if you're doing that here in the U.S. and you want to sell fish for a profit, then you have to push those biomass ratios very high in order to be profitable, and that doesn't replicate itself in a developing nation because it's going to fail. So right. the method that we teach, and we'll teach commercial application. We have students that come here to Florida that are interested in commercial application, and we understand those principles. Uh, we have small systems that are set up on a high-density level, and we can show those and demonstrate. Um, but our focus is is developing nations and uh, for that backyard a farmer that wants to produce food for his family or, or his family and friends in the community. Our systems work very well. And we're very careful not to to design a into our system items that can't be purchased in developing nations. For example, um, most of the grow media that's used in the United States is either rock, wool, or hydrogen. Those are the two most common. Uh, we use coconut fiber, and the reason we use coconut fiber is because we can find it all across Africa. We can find it in Central America, Haiti, South America. Um, it's cheap and readily available. It's a byproduct. Typically, cocoa fiber is not used for anything else. And so we can get the coconuts and shred them. And, uh, we, we have several orphanages that now have aquaponic systems. And the kids all help by shredding the, the fibers and putting them in the net pots. And even the net pots, sometimes those, are hard to find, and if we haven't shipped them to supply them we'll we'll use small plastic cups that we modify to put the the grow media in to put the plants in and it It does work, but it's farming so again it's it's uh it's susceptible to the climate uh, one of the strong benefits of aquaponics as a method of farming in an arid climate is that it requires much less water and growing in the ground. Now you might think how in the world can an aquaponics system where you have fish and you're growing everything in water use less water? And the reason for that is if you have a plant growing in the soil and you pour a cup of water on that, the plant can only absorb so much water in a in a period of time, but the soil is absorbing water and wicking it away from the plant at the same time. So studies okay. have been done and shown that plants grown in a recirculating aquaponics system utilize about five percent of the water that's necessary to grow the same plant in the in the soil so aquaponics doesn't produce water but it greatly reduces the amount of water that's necessary to grow the plants. So when we go into a developing nation uh, a typical you know arid climate we we take in enough funding to put a well in so now we're providing water where it wasn't before and a lot of these arid climates uh they'll get rainfall but it usually comes all in you know a couple of months so they mm-hmm. get it rains like crazy for a couple of months and then they get no rain for 8 or 10 months out of the year and they have a real hard time producing uh, fresh vegetables so we're showing them how they can Produce proteins and vegetables in their community year-round. So, to answer your question, yes, it definitely is viable. It is something that is sustainable in developing nations if it's done properly.
1: Right, right. So, for your um, so for your your fish tanks, you you're, you're basically uh, digging, digging a hole in the ground and then lining it with something. We we have constructed tanks. Uh, many different ways.
0: And we're one of the phrases that we say around here in training all the time is uh, like, I just, when the phone rang, when you, when you called for this interview, I just stepped out of a design class where all our students were sitting around and we're designing three real world systems. And we, we had contacted the, the places where we're going to build these systems and asked them, do you have this, or do you have that, or can you get this, or is this available? And so we found out what they already had or what was available to them, and we designed three completely different systems based on the items that they had. So wow. we've built fish tanks out of liners, where we've dug holes in the ground and put liners in if it was available. Uh, we've built fish tanks out of block, if, if concrete block was accessible. We've built out of brick. Like in Malawi, we have a system that we built there at an orphanage, and they make brick and sell them in that community. So we had lots of brick, so we made them out of brick. Uh, we In Nicaragua, we built uh, a system right next to a rock quarry. So we built the tanks all out of rock because they had lots of rock, and they would donate them to us. So we're constantly teaching people how to use what you have to do what needs to be done.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, and so for the for the grow beds, you're doing some form of like um like a deep water or something like that with net pots in in the water. That's correct. Uh, deep water culture.
0: Uh, that's um, a raceway. That basically it's just a, a big tank. That usually they're not very deep. Maybe twelve, twelve to twenty four inches deep, and the water just flows through there slowly, and then and then gets transferred at the end over to the next raceway, and it just flows through. So we're emulating the water flowing through a river and um, those same same thing we've done them many many different ways utilizing whatever's available at that location um, typically uh, when we design a system we do it with with uh, concrete block and a skim coat of cement that seems to be uh, readily available in most developing nations and it's fairly inexpensive and it's a method of construction that the local people are familiar with. So that's that's what our typical raceways are. And then we'll float a raft on top of that, and then a hole will be made in each raft. And then a little net pot gets set into that hole, and then the plant grows in that pot, and the roots go right down into the water.
1: Right.
0: And, and what, what are you guys using as your, um, as your floating rafts? Um, we've been able to find we've we've done some unique things, but we've been able to find uh, styrofoam in in all the places we've built training centers. So um, it's it's actually more available than than I initially thought. But we've built rafts um, out of bamboo. Uh, we've built rafts out of wood that didn't actually touch the water. Just the net pot set down in the frame, and then the pot was in the water. Uh, but the, the frame was built out of wood and suspended above the water surface, just, you know, about an inch. Uh, so we've utilized lots of, lots of different methods, uh, to create that, that area where the pots can just sit right in the top of the water.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, my, my, my other question was on, was on, on feeding, feeding the fish. Now, um, you know, again, we we have access and to you know the fish food here, and I know a number of people will do things like uh, duckweed and uh, um, the what do you call it the black soldier fly larva or whatever. Correct. What do you guys what What do you guys use to to feed the fish in a, in a third world third world country?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and really that that's the key component. Uh, really aquaponics is about converting energy Um, we don't really create energy and we don't really consume it in the ecosystem so we introduce uh, fish food that is a form of energy and then that gets converted fish turn that those carbohydrates and fats and proteins into fish flesh that's a conversion of energy then they excrete or waste what we uh, we call it fish waste, but it's really just another form of energy that gets converted again. So the whole process, uh, the bacteria come and eat that, that's converted again. Now the nutrients are available, the plants convert again. It's another form of energy. We harvest the plants and eat that, another form of energy. So the cycle just keeps going. But it starts with the fish food. And what we've found, for example, uh, recently, um, our team was in Honduras uh, building a system, and we've done several things in Honduras. Uh, the, there's a large um, aquaculture company there that's producing tilapia on a very large scale, shipping all over the world, and they control the fish feed that's available in-country. And so they've set the prices of the fish feed where you really can't afford to grow your own tilapia. And, of course, they've done this so that they can control the market, if you buy fish feed and raise your own fish, um, by the time it's all said and done, you would have been better off to just buy the fish from them. Uh, and we found that in some developing nations, uh, fish pelletized fish food is not even available. You can't find right. it in country at all. Well. So we are teaching um, at all of our training centers how to utilize duckweed. Duckweed is a, is a fantastic a uh, form of fish food for tilapia. It's a natural food for them. They're accustomed to eating it in the wild. That's 32% protein. It's it's a great food. Not only are we teaching how that they can utilize duckweed as a great source of fish food, we're also demonstrating and, and teaching the locals how to utilize duckweed as a human food as well. It's high in protein. It has a lot of am- amino acids that are, are good uh, and that we need. And if it's if it's grown and cared for properly, it's uh, we can certainly consume it without any concern. And it's a good good feed for us as well. Uh, we also teach how to raise filamentous algae. That's a grass-like algae that's a natural feed source for fish. Um, we teach uh, how to raise rotifers or copepods. Those are little small crustaceans or bugs that live in the water that the fish eat high sources of protein. Uh, We're uh, now when we develop a new training center, we plant Moringa trees and Lucina trees before we ever show up to start building the systems. So we have almost a thousand Moringa trees growing at our new training center in West Africa. And we harvest the leaves of the Moringa, feed it to the fish. This is an excellent supplement uh to their duckweed and filamentous algae diet again we also teach how that the moringa leaves um are an excellent nutrition source for human consumption uh and all the benefits we also teach how it can be used for for livestock fodder and you know for chickens and it it's, it's a it, it's called the miracle tree um I don't know if it's a miracle but it certainly is a uh, it's a wonderful plant And then uh, to to supplement, uh, tilapia need high-protein diets in their first three months of life. So black soldier fly larvae work. We also harvest termites in Africa and in Central America. Most tropic or subtropic uh, environments, termites are a real issue, and so they're easy to harvest and a great source of protein. So we feed those to the fish. So all of those things make the sustainable ecosystem um uh, sustainable because we can right. find those uh, or create those have those growing right there in the same ecosystem
1: yeah wow it's uh yeah you know it's funny you mentioned the moringa tree cuz I, I was just doing research on that this week and it it can also clean the uh the, clean the junk water, and water in- yeah. yeah, and then it's like a multivitamin, and now it can also be used as fish food. It's genius.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it works well. And, and probably the most powerful um, component or aspect of the moringa tree is the fact that if it's in the right climate, the tree will grow 8 to 10 inches a week. And so wow. we we every other week we harvest off about 12 to 14 inches of growth and strip the leaves and feed it to the – To the fish, and then, you know, ten to fourteen days later, it's grown right back again. So it's just an amazing, amazing tree.
1: So, um, are you you, you're throwing the leaves in there green, or do you dry them, or make them into little, little cakes or something?
0: Yeah, right. If we're in a tropical or subtropical climate, uh, we can grow the tree year round, and so we're teaching to just feed the the leaves green, if If you're on the edge, well, like, for example, where we are here in central Florida, our moringa trees won't produce leaves in the winter. So we, because typically they don't like to be below 77 degrees. If you can keep them above that, they'll keep their leaves and they'll produce all year long. So here the leaves fall off in the winter. uh, And so we grow a lot in the summer and we dry it and we store it and then we just feed the dried leaves. All through the through the winter, and then we have fresh leaves that we can feed uh, through the summertime.
1: Yeah! Wow. It is it is an amazing amazing. But I just I can't believe I just found out about it like this week, how amazing it really is. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. There's there's a lot of great
0: information on the internet about moringa for your listeners to just to to check that out. But it's uh, it's a fantastic tree and it can be grown if, in, a, in a large pot uh, if you wanted to, to grow it indoors if you were in a colder climate um, and then just harvest the leaves, and they're great. We we put the fresh leaves on our salad and just eat moringa in our salad. Um, I have dried moringa on my kitchen counter all the time, and we'll I grind it up into a powder. I'll sprinkle it on my eggs. I'll, I'll put it in anything that I'm cooking because I get that extra nutrient. Um it's, you're right, it's like a, it's like a vitamin that you're taking every day. It's, it's a fantastic plant. Everyone should know about it and be
1: benefiting from it. <laughs> yeah. And um I had I had one more question for you if you if you had sure. if you had some time to talk. Um yeah. I've been really interested in your, your bicycle uh rope pump. And oh yeah. so it seems, it seems like that was um you know, a good a good alternative if if the electricity goes out, and you need to be able to move your water. Um, if you, you want to talk a little bit about the bike pump, and if you're listening, sure. you can go look on, on on YouTube and see what they're doing with the the rope pump connected to a bicycle. But yeah. I've you know I've been been wondering if there's been any updates. Um, you know even a yeah. little some of the smaller things like how big is the pipe that goes down into the water? Is it like two inches and you know the caps that go through the pipe to pull the water out. How big were those? I just had some questions about your road pump.
0: Sure. Yeah, no problem. We um, we, we call it the people powered pump. So if your if your listeners go to to our website uh, morningstarfisherman.com, just type in people powered pump in the search on the home page, and it'll take you right to that article. Uh, we designed that pump uh, for a specific application. We were installing a, uh, we call it a cooperative system. It's a part of our network that we create in developing nations. Uh, but we were designing a, a cooperative system that goes in a small village in West Africa called Boje, and they they had no grid electricity. They had no running water. So we went into this community and drilled a well, um, installed photovoltaic solar panels to produce electricity so that we could pump the water from the well and circulate water in our system uh, for uh, that's our primary power source. And we, a lot of times will utilize solar power as a backup so that if the grid tie goes down, we have solar power that can keep water circulating and everything's fine and we always want a backup. So if the power goes off, which happens pretty Frequently in developing nations, we we have a way to keep the system flowing and the fish happy. So in Bojay, we knew we had to come up with a backup, and we knew that we needed to to circulate about 40 gallons of water per minute. So we designed this this bicycle-powered uh, rope and washer-style pump, and so we have a um, and all of the images are in the video on our website, but uh, the rope cycles or circles up over the where the back tire would be, down into the water. And uh, every foot on the rope, we've tied a knot, and we put a small inch and a quarter PVC cap. And then that cap goes down into the bottom of a standpipe that goes up to the location of the back tire. And so it just circles around there like a bicycle chain, but down through the water and then up into a two-inch pipe. And that one-and-a-quarter-inch cap is almost exactly the same size as the inside diameter of a two-inch pipe. And so as that gets pulled up through the pipe, it literally lifts the water so that that little cap works like a piston. It's not picking up water like a cup. It's actually pushing the water up like a piston in a cylinder. And then once it gets to the top... We've enlarged the diameter of the pipe, and then we have a drain that comes off the side. So all that water that's getting lifted up gets pushed right out um, of that pipe. Now, here, we set one up for just for research and development to make sure that it all worked properly, and we just have it picking up and dumping back into the same tank. But in Africa, we'll pick up out of one tank and pump it over into – actually, it'll go into a manifold – that will flow down through eight different fish tanks. So, and, and we, we have that it's September. We start construction at that facility, but we've already done all the research and we know what works. We were actually working this morning uh, with our students uh, here on developing a bicycle powered air blower that would basically uh, do the same thing. So the, the water would, or the air uh, we go in we could circulate the water which is important to keep the dissolved oxygen level high for the fish. So we're designing same thing, it's the backup, but we've already got the water pump that works well and now we need an air blower that does the same.
1: Perhaps, yeah, right? Well, that's great. No. Um I you know, I really appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your time and in, in answering these questions cuz um sure. like I said I do a lot of work in India and in Africa and I'm I'm really interested in you know, how we can make these uh these things available for, for people in the villages and places like that. And uh so you I've heard you mention a number of times your your students in your school. So um how long is your school and where can uh, people get information on it?
0: We we have a variety of trainings here in Central Florida. Um we have an online class that's just four hours. That's just really an introduction. It would uh Communicate to you what aquaponics is. Uh, we offer a similar class to that. That's an on-site class. That's uh, it's a one-day class, um, and then we have our one-week class. That's a lot more involved. We we feel like we uh, we just we throw so much information at people in five days that their brains are hurting by the end of the week, uh, and then we have our we call them resident programs. So we have a 30-day, a 60-day, and a 90-day uh, resident program. The 30-day program is coupled with the first week training that we offer, and then you get three weeks of hands-on application, which um, that's really good. It's very focused on on aquaponics the whole first month. The second month, which is where our students are right now, that's why we're doing all this design. The second month's training is called um, uh, Design and Construction. So we focus on how to design, why we design the way we do, and then how to physically construct, um, how to take advantage of alternative energy sources. Uh, we go through all of that. And then the third month, we call it Training the trainer. So if an individual was interested in going to India or to Africa or wherever and they wanted to teach at one of our uh, training facilities or their own, uh, we spend that 30 days teaching them how to teach others. So that's uh, – and and now we're having trainings that are available in other countries as well, and our goal is to replicate all of the trainings that we can offer here – in developing nations as well. And right now, right. that's we don't have that regiment set up, um, although we do have trainings available in other countries. Um, they're just not quite at the same level as we offer here in central Florida.
1: Right, right. Well, that's great. And so the best way to contact you is on your website? Yes. The the best way to contact us is uh, just go to our
0: website, MorningstarFishermen.org. Uh, or just Google Morningstar fisherman and we'll we'll pop up and uh, and then then go to the staff page so all of our staff their our personal emails are available there, mine included, and um, uh, all of our class schedule is posted there, and there's a lot of good information just for for reading on our
1: website as well. Great, great. Well, Phil, I really appreciate your time. like I appreciate what you guys are doing and Know we just pray that you would be blessed and successful. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or go to www.aquaponicsforeveryone.com or like us at facebook.com aquaponics for everyone.